the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at Let's Talk A service of the Salem Media. Versions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. <laughs> I love the way Spurgeon so graphically and eloquently explains the meaning of David's words. He said this, He is thunderstruck at the discovery of his inbred sin and proceeds to set it forth. This was not intended to justify himself, but it rather meant to complete his confession. It's as if he said, not only have I sinned this once, but I am my very nature. I'm a sinner. The fountain of my life is polluted as well as its streams. My birth tendencies are out of the square of equity. I naturally lean to forbidden things. Mine is a constitutional disease, rendering my very person obnoxious to thy wrath. I love that. There's something about confession that takes the oxygen away from the fires of dispute, clears the path to reconciliation, and sets the guilty spirit free. When God is the one we've wronged, the effect is even more powerful. King David had a healthy understanding of his sinful nature. Once he recognized that he had sinned grievously with Bathsheba, confessed his disobedience and repented of it, he found renewed joy in his salvation. He believed that was so liberating and important that he made his confession public in a song we know of as Psalm 51. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse, a daily radio Bible class with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we are resuming our study of genuine repentance and launching into Pastor Steve's second sermon in this series. We all sin, but that's not the reason we use the term sinner. We are not sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. That's our natural bent. And when we mess up, what's our immediate tendency? Well, if you're like me, it's either denial or excuse. My first inclination is always to deflect the blame. Even Adam did that in the garden when he not only allowed Eve to eat the forbidden fruit, he ate some himself. When God confronted him, he replied, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I ate. He kind of confessed, but he really tried to put the ultimate blame on God for giving him this woman who tempted him. He said, I did it, but... And we still do that, don't we? However, if we want God to restore the joy of our salvation, we need to repent, and we won't repent unless we first confess. On November 27, 1978, Dan White, a district supervisor with the city of San Francisco, assassinated then-Mayor George Moscone and Supervisor Harvey Milk. At his trial... Psychiatrists testified that White had been depressed at the time of the murders and pointed out several changes in his life that indicated his depression, one of which was that he had changed his diet from 
healthy foods to Twinkies and other foods high in sugar. Based on his depression, which the psychiatrist said was related to his new diet of junk food, Dan White's attorneys argued that their client's capacity for rational thought was diminished. And so, instead of being found guilty of premeditated murder, the jury convicted Dan White of voluntary manslaughter. Soon after the verdict, a new expression was coined, really as a derisive label for an improbable legal defense. To this day, it is known as the Twinkie defense. I didn't make that up. It's known as the Twinkie defense. Now this morning, we once again turn our attention to Psalm 51, where we see King David making anything, folks, but a Twinkie defense. That's the tie-in, in case you were wondering. That's it. As David humbles himself by honestly admitting to God his guilt in committing adultery with Bathsheba, and then the subsequent murder of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. As we discovered last week, Psalm 51 is the classic statement in the Bible on what genuine repentance looks like. It's a critical issue for us to understand. Why? Because repentance is such a misunderstood subject. Years ago, D.L. Moody, who in the 1800s was the leading evangelist of his day, and the founder of the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, he said this about repentance, and I quote, there is a good deal of trouble among people about what repentance really is. If you ask people what it is, they will tell you it's feeling sorry. If you ask a man if he repents, he'll tell you, oh yes, I generally feel sorry for my sins. He said, that's not repentance. It's something more than feeling sorry. Repentance is turning right about and forsaking sin. And he's right. It's exactly right. That's exactly what we see King David doing here in Psalm 51. He not only admits to God his guilt, but in doing so, he expresses this great desire of his heart to forsake such sin and to never fall into it again. Folks, that's why this is so important for us to study and so important for us to understand this psalm because it's here in Psalm 51 that David not only tells us about what happened to him, but he's, what he's doing is he's modeling for us what is entailed in true repentance. This psalm is not David just getting this off of his chest. This is David's instruction, really God's instruction for his people on what is involved in genuine repentance. And as we noted, the inscription above the psalm reveals that this inspired record of David's repentance was given to the official choir director in Israel to be sung by the Jewish people when they gathered for worship. In other words, the entire nation was continuously exposed to this psalm and reminded of what exactly was involved in David's repentance so that they would learn what God expected of them when they repented. And that's why this psalm is so relevant for us because it is God's voice to his people in every age instructing us on how we should repent as we confess our sin to God. And so as Psalm 51 unfolds, we see David revealing what true repentance looks like. He does this by giving us, from his own experience, a number of marks or features or characteristics of genuine repentance. We began to look at the first of these marks, which is that true repentance is marked by an honest admission of guilt. 
Notice verses 1 through 4. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Now, we went over this last session, but let me just tell you the the primary thought behind these verses is that David knows he has grievously sinned against the Lord, and therefore his repentance is marked by an earnest seeking of God's forgiveness. That's what he's doing. Entreating the Lord to be gracious to him by forgiving him and by cleansing him. David pulls no Twinkie defense here. He humbles himself by admitting his guilt and admitting his sin. And he does so in such a way that it shows us how deeply convicted he was of his sin. So that there's no minimizing of what he had done wrong. No downplaying it by referring to it in these sterile sounding non-moral terms like, well, I I just made a mistake or I had an error in judgment or it just was a poor decision. I knew better, but it was a poor decision. No, David doesn't say that. He minces no words. He calls his behavior exactly what it is. He calls it transgressions. That is to say, it's rebellion against God. He calls it iniquity, meaning it's a perversion of proper behavior. He calls it sin, which means it is deviant behavior that misses the mark of godliness. In addition, notice there's no justification by David for his sins. He takes full responsibility for what he's done. He blames no one else but himself for his actions, especially not God. In fact, he explicitly exonerates God from any wrongdoing. He declares in verse 4 that, that it is God and God alone that he has sinned against and that God is absolutely right, he says, and justified in judging him. David is simply saying, I am in the wrong and I humble myself and I admit it and there are no excuses, no rationalizing, no justification, no blaming others. It's me. I'm wrong, God. Forgive me. Now, this is where we left off last session. But as David continues repenting before God, he continues along the same vein of thought, that of being brutally honest about his guilt and his sin. So we had to stop last session, but the psalm continues with the same thought. Notice verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, at first glance, this might sound as if David is accusing his mother of being an immoral woman, of conceiving him out of wedlock, or that he's speaking against sex as the process of conception, but that's not at all, not at all what David is saying. He's not saying his mother was a fornicator or condemning sex between a husband and wife. What he's doing is he's diving deeper into the matter of just how sinful He really is. This is an extremely important verse. You see, in addition to admitting that his actions with Bathsheba and then her husband were wicked acts of perverse and defiant rebellion against God, really treason against God, David is now acknowledging that his deeds of sin, note this, his deeds of sin spring from an evil and a corrupt nature of sin, which he received when? At conception. In other words, from the earliest moment of his existence, his conception, he was a sinner 
by his very nature, by his disposition. So what David is doing is admitting to God, which God already knows, but this is part of repentance. He's admitting to God that his problem with sin isn't so much an isolated incident or activity that he committed against Bathsheba and her husband a year ago. He's admitting it's far deeper than that. His problem with sin is is that willful disobedience, rebellion, is a part of his very makeup. And it's always been a part of his very makeup. That is to say, his act of sin that he is currently confessing is just symptomatic of a far deeper issue, his natural bent and propensity towards evil. I love the way Spurgeon so graphically and eloquently explains the meaning of David's words. He said this, He is thunderstruck at the discovery of his inbred sin and proceeds to set it forth. This was not intended to justify himself, but it rather meant to complete his confession. It's as if he said, not only have I sinned this once, but I am my very nature am a sinner. The fountain of my life is polluted as well as its streams. My birth tendencies are out of the square of equity. I naturally lean to forbidden things. Mine is a constitutional disease, rendering my very person obnoxious to thy wrath. I love that. My very person obnoxious to your wrath. See, what David is saying and what Spurgeon is so eloquently describing are what theologians refer to now as original sin. Because it goes back to the original root of our sinfulness, which is that when Adam initially sinned in the Garden of Eden, his nature was changed. It became sinful so that his character, his disposition, his bent completely changed in that he now became inclined and bent on rebelling against God, and he transmitted that sin nature of rebellion to all of us, all of his posterity. This is precisely what the Bible teaches, that in Adam's fall, all of us fell. Because in Adam's sin, we all sinned. How? Even though we weren't physically there. How? Because Adam was the head of the human race, and he represented All of us. This is clearly brought out in Romans chapter 5. We read in verse 12. Paul says, therefore, just as as through one man, he means Adam, through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. In verse 19, Paul says this in Romans, by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. We're part of the many. The whole human race. We're all made sinners. Now, this is what David is referring to in Psalm 51 when he says that he was brought forth in iniquity and in sin his mother conceived him. He's just confessing to God that his entire being is sinful, that he's rotten to the core, that he's totally depraved, and that he is sins. Note this because he's a sinner. Sinning didn't make him a sinner. He sinned with Bathsheba and then her husband because he's always been a sinner. And what was true of him is certainly true of all of us. So that from the very beginning of our existence at conception, 
We have been infected with a disease which the Bible calls sin. Because we received at conception a nature that is not, note this, it is not morally neutral. Not morally neutral. But it is bent and inclined towards evil and self-centeredness. Now listen very closely. Because knowing the depths of your sinfulness is, is a very important component of repentance because it means that you understand the truth about yourself. And what is that truth? That you are not basically good by nature. But you and I are evil by nature. And therefore, because we are sinful to the core with a constitutional propensity to sin, you know that you need Christ to save you. If you're a believer, you know that. You need his righteousness imputed, meaning put on your account, because you have no righteousness of your own. You need to be born again, means regenerated, by having a new nature, a divine nature implanted in you, because the nature that you were born with is corrupt and evil, and it is totally unacceptable to God. David knew all of this. He knew that his sinful disposition was unacceptable to God. How do we know that David knew this? Well, notice what he goes on to say in verse 6. He says, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part, you'll make me know wisdom. Now, with this statement, David is telling us that he understands the root of his sin problem. His problem isn't simply that he's a sinner by nature. That is part of it. But it's also, this is what makes it a problem, that God requires, he says, inward purity of heart, and he doesn't have it. He doesn't have it. Why? Because he's totally corrupted by his sin. David says that God desires truth in the innermost being and wisdom to live properly. And he, being a sinner by nature, is incapable of meeting that requirement because his innermost being is sinful. It's depraved. It's incapable of making wise and godly decisions of behavior. See, when David wrote Psalm 51, remember, he was writing this as a converted man and not someone who had just recently been converted. He experienced the new birth and he experienced salvation years before when he was a young man. Even as a young boy, he was the psalmist In Israel, he was the sweet singer of Israel as he would shepherd his father's sheep out in the fields. He knew the Lord. He's known him for a long time. How he came to faith, we're not told. But he's not a a new convert. And it was at that time when David first came to, to faith that he repented of his sin because he recognized the truth about himself, that he had committed sin because by nature he was a sinner. And that his real need before God was for a change of heart. Not only forgiveness, but also a change of heart, a change of nature. Not simply a change of some outward moral new habits. And now that he's an older man, writing Psalm 51, he still is acknowledging the same truth about himself that he acknowledged many years earlier at his conversion. That he does acts of sin because at conception... He became a sinner. Now, why is this so important for us to understand? Well, it is critically important to understand this for several reasons. First of all, because if you don't understand the root of your sin problem, you will never 
come to faith in Christ. You may not understand it in all these theological terms, but if you don't understand basically that you're rotten to the core, you won't come to faith in Christ. As long as you think that you are basically a good person who just slips up once in a while, you'll never see your need for Jesus Christ. You'll never see your need for his salvation. This is one of the primary reasons why people reject the gospel because if they don't see how sinful they really are, they're never going to see how desperate their need is for Christ. And when people like this are confronted with what the Bible says about being a sinner by nature, lawbreakers of every one of the Ten Commandments, void of any righteousness, defiant rebels against God, they tend to react with hostility, opposition. Why? Because their pride is wounded. It's a humiliating thing to be told that you're a sinner. It's a blow to the ego. Self-esteem is not lifted up when you hear this. And unless God does a work of grace in showing us how rotten we are, we are always going to strike back in anger and self-righteous indignation. But when the Lord does open our eyes and our hearts to our sinfulness, which is a supernatural and a sovereign work of God's grace on his part, we see how absolutely hopeless and helpless we are without Christ because we realize that we can't do anything about our sin, that our sin problem is not just some activities we can stop. It's our nature. Can't do anything about our sin. It's our nature to sin. And so no amount of self-helps or self-improvements or attempts to reform our outward behavior will do us any good before God because we don't need reformation. We need inward transformation meaning that we need a new heart, a new nature that is bent towards godly obedience and holiness. And when we see this, that is when we repent of our sin and we turn to Christ to save us as God then does his most gracious work of giving us a brand new nature that now desires to please him, now desires to honor him by obedience. So it's important in that sense. It's pretty hard to repent of something if we don't acknowledge the fact that we're doing it. It's like the guy who said, I didn't do it, and I promise I'll never do it again. It's total nonsense. I'm glad you were able to listen today to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're in the Clearwater area and looking for a church to visit, maybe to call your own, you may want to consider a visit to Lakeside. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Call 727-441-1714 for more information. Or go online to lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. We need and appreciate the gifts of those faithful listeners who help cover the costs of production and airtime. If you've been blessed listening to Verse by Verse, would you prayerfully consider giving to help support this ministry? You can give securely and easily online at versebyverseradio.org. Click on the giving link on the homepage. Or you can call Lakeside at the number I gave a moment ago, 727-441-1714. And while we are deeply grateful for your support, we would like to stress the importance of first supporting your own church. We hope that your gifts to Verse by Verse come over and above those offerings. 
Another popular feature of our website is the Message Archive. We have hundreds of previous broadcasts available for free. Stream or download any of them that interest you. That's at versebyverseradio.org and click the Message Archive link. While I'm telling you about free offers, here's one more, and it's for our blind listeners. If you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind and would like a free audio Bible for your digital player, call 800-838-5924 or visit www.blindbibles.com. That's 800-838-5924 or blindbibles.com. This is Jerry Peterson. We face a lot of questions in life. What career should I choose? Who should I marry? Where should I go to college? Should I buy this house or that one? But one question towers above all the others in its long-term significance. It's a question that will affect our lives for all of eternity. But we tend not to want to face it. Years ago, a friend of mine told about the only time he ever wrote on a public restroom wall. Now, neither one of us recommends defacing restroom walls with magic markers. The damage had been done, and it needed an answer. Someone had written, Christ is the answer. My friend Jim said that someone else had written beneath it, what's the question? Well, Jim felt that he couldn't leave such an important question unanswered, and he happened to have a marker with him. So he wrote, how can sinful people stand before a righteous God? There's the question, isn't it? Christ's death on the cross paid the penalty we all owe as a result of our sin. It's a free gift, but unless we recognize Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.